Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. A uh, couple of quick things. I want to say hello to those of you joining us online. Thanks for joining us there. If you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option. If you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. And I want to let you know that uh, we do have 8.30 and 11. If you're like crammed in here, you're like, man, it's packed. Uh, that's a good problem to have. Uh, we're continually uh, trying to be creative about making sure that we have more seats at optimal times. Uh, part of that is uh, we're continuing to look to the future and uh, there's going to come a day uh, at some point in the next couple of years here where we will add on to this building. And so we're working through the logistics of that. Uh, but man, in the meantime, keep inviting your friends and we're going to keep trying to do everything we can to be creative and make space and make room. And that's a great problem for churches to have. Uh, real quick, two things before we jump into uh, the message this morning. One is this video you just saw is uh, part of our legacy project. Every year, uh, we have something that just runs in the background. It's this, this ongoing thing that goes on in the background of Westbridge Church called the Legacy Project, where we raise money above and beyond what we normally, uh, you know, our operating expenses, and we give it away. <clears throat> and we also, um, we give away 10% of everything that comes in to global partners, and then we raise this whole other amount and give 100% of that away. And so that's uh, every year during uh, the month of November, we take some time and we set aside a week and we say, we're going to focus on a project, and uh, we're just asking this, not a specific amount, just would you take some time and pray and say, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me participate as part of the legacy offering coming up in a couple of weeks? And then just do whatever you think God wants you to do. This is above and beyond what we normally give outside of that. And the goal is this. We just go, what if 100% of us participate and we give 100% of it away? And uh, our project this year is Compassion International. We are partnering with Compassion to build a church in a community in Colombia. And when that church gets built, then uh, they'll have up to 300 kids that are available right there, ready to be sponsored. And then what's awesome is uh, we get to partner with the kids in that community, sponsor kids in the community that attend the church that we got to build, that uh, just is this incredible partnership of um, watching them grow. Not only uh, are they being fed, not only are they being cared for, uh, receiving education, but they get to be a part of a church community and they get to learn about Jesus. And so that's a cool partnership opportunity for us. So I would just say, man, coming up in two weeks is our legacy offering. Uh, just be saying, God, what, what would you have me do? And then whatever you feel God's speaking to you. And if 100% of us participate, our commitment is we'll give 100% of it away. It costs $90,000 to build that building. Now, I wish it cost $90,000 to build this building. Uh, it was a little more. But uh, for us to add on is, uh, is, is exponentially uh, more than that. And so when we think about what we can accomplish in other parts of the world, uh, really, it's just such a, such a a no-brainer, such an opportunity. And so just pray and say, God, what would you have me do? And be obedient to that. And I'm confident that if every one of us does that, uh, we're going to see a, a huge difference. Uh, the other thing real quick is uh, next week is worship night. And we have uh, not only worship night where we're going to be singing a bunch of songs together. If you, if you enjoy the musical part of worship and, and singing together, you're going to love worship night. But the other part is water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water, or maybe you were baptized as an infant, and that's a decision your parents made, and you thought, well, I don't know if I should get baptized later on in life. Uh, that really doesn't negate that decision that your parents made. Really, it, it reaffirms it and confirms that decision. And so um, here's what it is. We call it the wedding band of uh, your faith. Like, here's the question people ask. Well, does getting baptized in water make me a follower of Jesus? Or does this, do I have to get baptized in water to get to heaven? And the answer is no, no, no. But 
um, you know, my, my wedding ring doesn't make me married. It is the commitment I made that makes me married. But the wedding ring is a, is a symbol. It's a symbol that helps me remember the commitment that I made. It helps me remember the commitment that I'm in, the relationship that I'm in. It, it just points to something that I'm already doing. Baptism just points to, it's a symbol that reminds us all that God has done for us, reminds us of the relationship that we're a part of. And so the way we do baptism here is uh, we, we bring you under the water. The apostle Paul says you're just like Jesus was, uh, you know, he died and was buried. The old you is dead and buried. And then as Jesus rose from the dead, the new you rises to new life. And we think it's fitting that during this series called The New You, uh, we're able to do water baptism and celebrate that together. So I want to encourage you, uh, maybe, you're, maybe this is your line of thinking, well, then why do I have to do it? I want to encourage you, that's the wrong question to ask. Because Jesus himself was baptized in water and then uh, commanded us to be baptized in water. So the real question isn't, well, you know, Jesus, why should I do it? The real question is, why would I not? Why would I not do what Jesus himself did and asked me to do as well? And it's just a sign of saying, God, you're the one in charge of my life, and uh, I, because of you, I'm different. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't, uh, if you've been on the fence about that and you've been thinking through that, if you still have questions, go to our website. There's a frequently asked questions page, or, you know, connect with one of our staff, and we'd be happy to walk through any questions that you might have. Okay, so that's next week, and then two weeks from now, Legacy Offering. Today, we're continuing our series, uh, The New You. And the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of people in Ephesus in the first century, and he's writing to them describing uh, all that God has done. In the first half, it's all vertical. Here's what God has done for you. Second half, horizontal. Here then is how you should live. And so today, uh, we're going to look at some verses that help us avoid regret, both with ourselves and with others. In 2009, there was a video game that was um, introduced to the world by a guy named, he goes by the name Notch. He grew up in Sweden. Uh, he, he built his first video game at the age of seven on a Commodore 128. Pretty amazing. And, uh, and so this guy continued to work on software and video game development and eventually in 2009 uh, developed a game in Java that went on to become the number one best-selling video game of all time. It's called Minecraft. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with Minecraft, uh, this was introduced to our house in 2016. We got this for Christmas in 2016. And I'm telling you, uh, I just couldn't stop playing it. I mean, it was just, I was so fascinated with this. Uh, for those who don't know what Minecraft is, you basically exist in an infinite world. And you can just build whatever you want. You mine materials from the earth, and then you craft things, hence the name Minecraft. And then you build things, and uh, you can go into this creative mode where you can fly around, the worlds are infinite, uh, you can build anything you want out of m all kinds of different materials. I may or may not, when we were building this building, uh, have built a replica of this structure in Minecraft. <laughs> and one night in particular, that Christmas, we had just gotten it, and, uh, you know, after a long day, I think my, my wife fell asleep around 9 p.m. And I said to the kids, like, let's go play Minecraft. We're just going to play for 30 minutes. And after 30 minutes, I said, guys, we got to go to bed. It is 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> so not my proudest parenting moment, all right? Or maybe it is, okay? Uh, it was amazing. And the graphics on this game are terrible, okay? They're terrible. The guy who created it, Notch, became an overnight billionaire. He ended up selling it to Microsoft in 2014 for $2.5 billion. And I'm telling you, worth every penny for Microsoft. They've made 10 times that amount in merchandising. 
Uh, a few years after that, uh, I took my son and one of his friends to MineCon. Okay, it's like a convention of Minecraft. I, I hate to even admit that to you. Uh, I've burned every picture from that, okay? It's just like, I don't, I don't want that. So let's just kind of keep that between us, all right? But the beauty is not in the graphics. The beauty of this game is in its ability to create whatever you want. It's just an endless possibility. You mess up, no problem. Destroy it, start over. You punch out a block, it just disintegrates into thin air, and you can build and grab more material and build whatever you want to. Now, I bring that up because sometimes I find myself wishing that life was a little bit more like Minecraft. Don't you? I wish that the mistakes I make could just be pounded away with my hammer and disintegrate into thin air. I wish that some of my biggest regrets could be erased and I could simply rebuild. But you and I both know life doesn't work that way. It's not quite that simple, is it? But here's the good news. There is a way, regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of the regrets that we carry with us from our past, there is a way to move forward. But to do that, we've got to tap into some of the wisdom that God offers. And so King Solomon was a guy who lived in ancient Israel. He was one of the kings of ancient Israel. He asked God for wisdom, and God gave him incredible wisdom. And so one of the things that Paul does is, or uh, Solomon does is write about his wisdom through a couple of uh, what we have now as books of the Bible and the ancient, the, the Hebrew scriptures. And <clears throat> one of these books is called Proverbs, and it's really just Solomon laying out different Proverbs. Generally speaking, this is how life works. And so in one of these Proverbs, he writes this. Above all, and before all, do this, get wisdom. Write this at the top of your list, get understanding. Throw your arms around her. Believe me, you won't regret it. Never let her go. She'll make your life glorious. Now, isn't it interesting that wisdom is personified as a woman? I mean, I, apparently Solomon had been around enough groups of guys to know, all right, let's make wisdom a female. I don't know. But he says, no matter what, get wisdom, acquire wisdom. It'll make your life, she'll make your life beautiful. She'll make your life glorious. And sometimes we have artists in our culture that tap into something that sort of sits at the core of what it means to be human. Now, not all modern artists do this, okay? You're not gonna hear me quoting from Nickelback anytime soon, but one of my favorites is a guy named John Mayer. He writes this in one of his songs, gravity is working against me. Gravity wants to bring me down. And then I love this line. He says, I'll never know what makes a man with all the love his heart can stand dream of ways to throw it all away. It's fascinating because that's the human condition, right? Man, the truth is John Mayer was not the first one to wrestle through the implications of what it means to be human and the effects that our choices make on our daily lives. And folks, we need wisdom. And here's why this is so important. Studies tell us that every single day we make a minimum of 70 decisions. That's 25,000 decisions every year and about 2 million decisions in the average lifetime. And when it comes right down to it, your life is the sum of your decisions, right? You make your decisions and then your decisions make you. And most of our daily decisions are pretty inconsequential, right? Like, what do I have for breakfast? Like, regular coffee or decaf? Do I wear the skinny jeans? You know, do, do I wear the V-neck? How deep should that V go? <laughs> but here's where our decisions and our understanding of wisdom can steer us in the wrong direction. We've kind of bought into this idea that the longer I live, the more wisdom I acquire. That's just not true. We've bought into this idea that the more information I have, the more wisdom I acquire. That's just not true. 
In fact, I, I would say it this way, that wisdom does not equal information or experience. <clears throat> you can have all the information in the world and still make a really unwise decision. You can have a lot of experience and still make an unwise decision. In fact, according to the scriptures, wisdom is actually choosing the right path. This is a very different way to think about wisdom. We, we have this idea, man, if only I had more experience. You know why I made that, that unwise decision? I just didn't have enough information, right? If we, could, if we could just have a little bit more information or a little bit more experience, then we would truly make wise decisions and it would change our life. But I know that that's not true. The problem with that line of thinking is that I know you. And you know how I know you? Because I know me. And every decision that I made that I regret had nothing to do. I had, I had plenty of information and I had plenty of experience. I didn't need more information and I didn't need more experience. My problem was I was emotionally attached to something down a particular path. And I set my foot on that path because I was emotionally attached to something on that path. And I never stopped to ask, where does this path eventually lead? I see all the information and all the experience in the world isn't going to help when you choose the wrong path. Every decision that you make is not just a decision in the moment. This is something that, man, if you are in junior high, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're a young adult, learn this. Keep learning this. The decisions you make today is not just a decision in the moment. It is a decision that will impact your future because the decisions you make today put you on a path that leads somewhere. Life is movement. It is not static. It's a path that leads to a destination. And here's what you know about every path <clears throat> and every road you've ever been on. It is your direction that determines your destination. I can get on 35 South and genuinely believe that I'm going to hit Duluth. I can have every intention to hit Duluth. I can sincerely believe that Duluth is just up ahead. But if I'm driving on 35 South, I ain't getting to Duluth. Maybe Duluth, Georgia. I'll never forget as a kid, every year we would go to uh, we'd pack up, we had a station wagon. My parents had a station wagon with the, you know, the, the wood paneling on the side, the woody wagon, where the two kids in the back sat facing the rear, you know, and then you'd pack it up with luggage and the kids back there were just in isolation. You hope they survive the trip. You know, they just had a totally different vacation from everyone else, avoiding eye contact with all the other drivers. And every year, our family vacation is we'd pack up and we'd go to Muncie, Indiana, and we'd stay at my grandparents' house for a week and we'd drive back. And every once in a while, my dad would get sleepy and it's a 12-hour drive. And so he, my mom would drive. And there's one particular stretch of road where there's a fork in the road and one sends you to southern Minnesota and one sends you to the cities. And uh, my dad was sleeping and, and we woke up and we were way off course because we took the wrong fork in the road. And so we stopped at the big orange moose at Black River Falls. Every time I drive past that moose, I, I remember this as a kid. I remember this conversation. My dad groggily wakes up. He's like, where are we? My mom's like, oh, well, we're just on 94. 94? Why are we on 94? Well, I don't know. You were sleeping. <laughs> Pull over. There's the moose. I remember this clear as day. And so my dad's like, how in the world? Now listen, my mom sincerely believed we were heading towards home. She had every intention of heading towards home. But the only thing that makes the difference about where you end up is the road you're on. 
Your intention and your sincerity does not trump the path that you're on. And here's the reality. Everyone ends up somewhere. Few people do it on purpose. The truth is most people don't plan to make decisions they regret. Most people don't plan to make unwise choices. They just don't plan not to. We're just not that aware. And unfortunately for many of us, life becomes like kind of throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping it all works out. And we end up being a lot more reactive to what life throws at us than being proactive and making wise decisions down a path that we want to go. And wisdom at its simplest is connecting the dots, understanding the correct path to take. It's discovering how your choices affect your future reality. And folks, without wisdom, we act like life is a total mystery, right? We, we, we make a choice, we choose a path, and it's not because we didn't have enough information or enough experience, we just go, that seems good to me in the moment. And we chase it, and now we're on a path. And we never stop to ask, where does this path lead? And, and, and is that a destination that I actually want to be at? And then what happens is we arrive at that path's inevitable destination and we turn around and we go, how did I get here? I didn't want to be here. And then we blame God and we blame other people and wisdom ultimately begins with the willingness to connect the dots, action and reaction, cause and effect. My past choices have created my current reality, which can be both sobering and encouraging because that means that my current choices are creating my future reality. That means I can change the direction of my life. In fact, uh, again, looking into the wisdom in Proverbs, Solomon would say this, the waywardness of the naive, the, the wandering, just going down whatever path, the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. You got to realize what this verse is saying is if you're not intentional and proactive about the direction of your life, that very wandering will take you down some paths you did not want to go. And unfortunately, many of us have become spectators in our own lives, hoping it all works out. But wisdom says, don't leave your life to chance. Don't wander aimlessly. Don't be complacent with the direction of your life. It's naive to think that won't destroy you. But there is another way. Again, in Proverbs, Solomon says this, if you live a life guided by wisdom, you won't limp or stumble as you run. God created us to run this race of life. And yet, I, I know, the verse tells us that without wise choices, it can lead to a limping life. And some of us may be limped in here today. Some of you are limping through a marriage. Some of you are limping along financially. Some of you are limping through a career. Some of us are limping through relationship with kids. Maybe you're limping along spiritually. Your soul is limping. And the principle is not... The principle is that you don't have to limp your way through life, no matter where you find yourself along the road. And I want you to know you can start today. You can flip the script. Regardless of what choices you've made in the past, God wants to redeem your past choices. God wants to take wherever you've been. And you might say, I've made some unwise decisions. I've been down some paths I didn't want to go down. Well, here's the good news. God never works with what should have been. God works with what is. And you can start to flip the script I love uh, another uh, artist, 21 Pilots. In one of their songs, they describe uh, how to flip the script. In the first verse, he writes this, I'm evil to the core. What I shouldn't do, I will. They say I'm emotional. What I want to save, I'll kill. Is this who I truly am? I truly don't have a chance. Tomorrow, I'll keep a beat and repeat yesterday's dance. He says, there's something about going down the same path over and over again. I just, I, I keep repeating the beat and tomorrow I repeat that same beat and I just end up in the same place. 
And then the second verse, he flips the script. He writes this, I'm not evil to the core. What I shouldn't do, I will fight. I know I'm emotional, but what I want to save, I will try. I know who I truly am. I truly do have a chance. Tomorrow, I'll switch the beat and avoid yesterday's dance. And I want you to know, it is not too late, no matter where you find yourself in life, to switch the beat, to avoid yesterday's dance, to start to walk down some new paths. In fact, King Solomon wrote something very similar to this about 3,000 years ago. He would say this, a prudent person, which is a, a way of saying a wise person, sees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, which is a very nice way of saying the fool. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. A prudent person, a wise person, looks down the road and sees the danger and, and decides, okay, that's not where I want to be. And so they, they take action. But somebody who is foolish just goes, oh, I don't know. This is just the path I'm on. I'm just going to aim, uh, kind of wander aimlessly, and I hope it all works out in the end. And they suffer the consequences. Wisdom suggests that you look at the path you're on and ask yourself, do I want to end up where this path is leading? And if the answer is no, then you must take action. And unfortunately for many of us, we tend to evaluate how we're doing in life by comparing ourselves to others rather than asking the question, is this where I want my life to go? And so you got to ask this question. Man, when it comes to your marriage, do you want it to look like everybody else in culture? When it comes to your parenting, do you want it to look just like everybody else in culture? When it comes to your finances, do you want it to look just like everybody else in culture? I have to work backwards and say, where do I want to end up and what path do I have to get on right now to get there? And so today we're going to look at a few verses. As we continue our way through Ephesians, as Paul is writing to people in the first century who live in the city of Ephesus, he's describing to them all that God has done for them. And then today, he, he, he wants to give them a lens through which to make all their decisions. So he starts off and he says, man, guys, here's all that God has done for you. God has chosen you. God's adopted you. Uh, he's going to one day restore all things. He's making you new. And he, he's made a whole bunch of other new yous, so you're a living, breathing, walking temple of God, and there's a whole bunch of you. He's made one new society. And so as a result of all that God has done for you, here's what you got to do for each other. you got to strive for unity. Not uniformity, not everybody's the same, but in your differences that you love well, that you maintain the unity that comes from Jesus. This, this beautiful tapestry of different personalities and different gift mix and all together in harmony. He goes, and then here's what you got to do. You got to practice forgiveness and encouragement and transparency with each other. And, and, and then he goes, just imitate Jesus in all you do. And now let me give you this lens when it comes to making decisions. Let me help you see how to make wise decisions so that you don't end up living a life of regret. And so in chapter five of Ephesians, verse 15, uh, Paul says this. So be careful how you live. Now, this word live it can actually be translated as walk. Be careful how you walk, because here's what the ancient world understood, and Paul in particular understood. Life is not static. Life is always moving forward. The decisions I make today put me on a path somewhere. And so Paul says, be careful how you live, or be careful how you walk. To live means to be moving or walking in a certain direction. So be careful how you walk. Be intentional with your steps. If you own a large dog and have a small yard, you know exactly what he's talking about. If you've ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you know that your kids have left Legos around on the floor, you know exactly what he's talking about. 
Be careful how you walk. Be intentional with your steps. Your life is heading somewhere. So be careful about the direction your life is heading. And then he continues, right? He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live or don't walk like fools, but like those who are wise. There's a couple of ways you can walk, Paul says. There's a couple of ways to, that you, the trajectory of your life can go. One is aimlessly. You can wander. That's foolish. The other is to live with wisdom. Wisdom is the template for decision-making. Not, not just right or wrong. The, the things that we know are black and white, that are clear right and wrong, we typically don't have a, a real difficult time with those things. We, we know that's right and that's wrong. What wisdom does is gives us clarity in the gray areas of life. Wisdom really helps us. We find ourselves on a bad path when there's no clear right or wrong. And in those situations, wisdom can bring clarity. And Paul says, you want to live like someone who's wise? Be intentional with your steps. You want to end up living the life of a fool? Just let the current of culture take you wherever it will. Wisdom brings clarity to the gray areas of life. And the problem is this. Here's what you and I tend to do. It's just human nature. This is how we tend to evaluate if something is wise or not. Here's the question we ask, and it's the wrong question. Is there anything wrong with it? Nothing wrong with it. Anything wrong with it? Is there a Bible? Can you give me a Bible verse for that? Jesus never said, thou shalt not. If Jesus never said, thou shalt not, if you can't point to a Bible verse that says I shouldn't, and if it's legal, and there's nothing wrong with it, then we give ourselves the okay to go ahead and do it. Like as if that's the best filter for making decision, decisions. If it isn't wrong, it must be okay. Can I tell you, every harmful decision I've ever seen someone make, every unwise decision was preceded by a series of, there's nothing wrong with it, choices. Nothing wrong with it. Wisdom tells us, you know what? There's just something about this. I, there's, there's something in my conscience. There's something in my subconscious. There's something in me that just says, man, the, call it my, my better judgment. That's just, there's a red flag there. Well, is there anything wrong with it? Well, no. Well, is it legal? Well, sure. Did Jesus say thou shalt not? Well, I guess not. Go for it. And we push through the red flag and we push through our better judgment and we push through our conscience. And pretty soon we're right at the edge of what's right and wrong. We never intended to get there. And then all of a sudden, we fall off that edge. We go, how did I end up here? Because wisdom was trying to protect you from you all along the way. And instead, what ended up happening is we pushed through that with this filter. There's nothing wrong with it. And technically, you're right. There is nothing wrong with it. But that doesn't mean that it's wise. It's how we bypass the boundary of wisdom. And then we get frustrated when we find ourselves in pain and regret and consequences. And we realize it's our decisions that put us there. And so Paul continues. He says this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity. Paul says you have a limited amount of time. It's your greatest asset and you don't know how much of it you have. You know how much is in your bank account. But you do not know how much is in your time account. And so you have to make the most of every opportunity that you've been given. And it reminds all of us, don't we wish that we could go back and have back a little bit of that time that we wasted chasing down these other paths? Like, man, wouldn't it be great to have that freshman year back? Wouldn't it be great to get that first year of marriage back? I'd do some things differently. And Paul says, you already know what happens when you're not careful with your time. 
You chase down, you go down some rabbit trails. You go down some paths you didn't want to be down. And he reminds his readers, and it's a reminder for us as well, that time is a precious commodity and that we're living in dangerous times. And you cannot afford to live carelessly or thoughtlessly and simply allow the current of culture to take you wherever it will. Because if you do that, you will end up in a ditch. Culture is not working for you. Culture is working against you. It's like my, <clears throat> my son is 15. He's learning how to drive. And just free advice, parents, one of the best investments that you can make, $8 on Amazon, three little magnets. They go in your car and they say, student driver. When you have that on, sometimes I just leave those on and drive around because I'm like, I get so much more grace from other drivers. But when you're out there driving and you're the first learning how to drive and I'm teaching my son how to drive and, you know, it's like, <clears throat> you got to learn how to be a defensive driver because everybody else on the road is looking out for themselves. And so you have to go, okay, that car's in that lane right there, but I've already predetermined what I'm going to do if that car veers into my lane. Because if they do, if you haven't pre-thought about it, it's too late. They're going to hit you. You have to be defensive. You got to keep your head on a swivel. And this is what Paul is telling us. If you're not careful, if you're not intentional, if you're not, you know, understanding the opportunities you have, then time will pass you by and you won't even realize you were headed for a ditch the entire time. And then he continues and he says this, <clears throat> don't act thoughtlessly, right? Same language that, the, that uh, Solomon uses in Proverbs, wandering aimlessly. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't approach life as if it's all disconnected. Don't approach life as if your past doesn't impact your future. Don't approach life as if what happens today doesn't impact tomorrow. That would be to live life thoughtlessly. That would be, Paul would say, to live life like a fool. You're not making the most of the opportunities. You're just kind of going with the flow. He says, no, that's just drifting and wasting time. Instead, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to say because it's like an imperative. It's a command. Just understand. And you're like, well, I don't understand. Understand. Okay, I do. Because you commanded it. I guess I understand. This is exactly what Paul's saying. This needs a little interpretation. He's saying, you need to face up to, or you need to own up to, or you need to acknowledge what you already know to be true. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop lying to yourself with this, there's nothing wrong with it verbiage. Stop deceiving yourself. When you look in the mirror, you know what God wants you to do. If you were to ask the right question, you know what wisdom would have you do. So stop bypassing wisdom on loopholes. Stop using, is it legal, or is there a verse for it, or is there a thou shalt not from Jesus, when wisdom is screaming at you. Don't go down that path. You know where you're dancing on the line. You know where you're flirting with disaster. You've had a couple of near misses. You've had a couple of close calls. You know wisdom is telling you, don't go down that path. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what God would have you do. You know how he'd have you live. Just be honest with yourself and stop deceiving yourself and let wisdom save you from you. And when you understand that life is connected, choices today impact outcomes tomorrow, you know one thing leads to another. And then Paul gives an example of that. He says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying here? This is like, Paul's all-out war on alcohol, right? Wrong. Again, context, right? So Paul's on this flow. Hey, God chose you. He adopted you. 
He's done everything to move in your direction. He died on your behalf so that he could be reunited in relationship with you. And then he took the old you that was filled with all these, all the brokenness that we have as human beings in a broken world, and he made you new. And then he put his spirit in you. You're a living, breathing, walking temple of God. And then he made a whole bunch of other new yous around you. And the new you and all the other new yous make this one new society. So strive for unity, live together in transparency and humility and in harmony. And he's on this flow, right? He's, he's connecting one thing to the next. So live as wise. Don't live as fools. Don't just go aimlessly. Don't live thoughtlessly. But understand what God wants you to do. Recognize in your life, one thing leads to another, one thing leads to another, one thing leads to another. This is Paul's example of this. This isn't a verse about drinking specifically. Paul's using this as an, exa- an example of how one thing leads to another. In other words, connect the dots. When you're drunk, you don't make wise decisions. When you don't make wise decisions, you have the potential to ruin your life. So the way to avoid making unwise decisions that might ruin your life would be don't get drunk. He's going, do you see how one thing, do you see how just that decision puts you on a path to a place you don't want to be? This isn't about alcohol specifically. It's about how one thing leads to another. And wisdom is understanding that connection and taking steps now so we don't end up in a ditch later. Because here's what I know about the decisions we make. Culture baits us to the edge and then mocks us when we go over. Culture says there's nothing wrong with it. Go ahead. There's not a Bible verse for that. Go ahead. And we push through wisdom and we push through wisdom and we get right to the edge. And then when we fall off the edge, <clears throat> culture says, how could you do that? Why would you do that? You made a horrible decision. You're canceled. And Paul says we should be filled with the Holy Spirit, that God's put his spirit in us. We're living, breathing, walking temples of God's Holy Spirit. It's like the role of the Holy Spirit is to point us to truth, to guide us to truth. So when God's Spirit fills our lives, it helps us to acknowledge what God wants us to do. It's wisdom. It's GPS for your life. It puts you on the right path. So instead of asking, is there anything wrong with it? Here's the question you've got to ask. What is the wise thing for me to do? What's the wise thing? Not is there anything wrong with it? Not is it legal? Not is there a Bible verse for it? What's the wise thing? And not for anybody else. What's the wise thing for me? What's the wise thing for me to do? It's not the same as you. We have different life experiences and different personalities and different hangups. And, and so here's the way you ask this question. What is the wise thing for me to do? Number one, in light of my past experiences. See, we've got different experiences that shape what is wise for each of us. We all have different past that informs what wisdom should look like moving forward. In light of my past experiences in this area of life, what is the wise thing for me to do? Financially, morally, relationally. What's the wise thing for me to do? If you've struggled with alcohol, then the wise thing would be don't hang out with friends in a bar eating peanuts. That's just wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean, well, are you saying it's wrong to sit in a bar with friends and eat peanuts? Not at all. Is it legal? 100%. Did Jesus say thou shalt not? Nope. Is there a Bible verse for it? Nope. I'm just telling you, this is just wisdom. And it's, it may be wisdom for you, and it may not be wisdom for somebody else who doesn't have that struggle. What is the wise thing for me to do? Should I say yes to this invitation? Should I say yes to this relationship? Should I say yes to this opportunity? I don't know. 
It might be okay for somebody else and not okay for you. It just depends. What is the wise thing for me to do based on my past experiences? And secondly, in light of my current circumstances, in light of where I find myself right now, I have this opportunity, I have this invitation, I, I, I have the, the opportunity to go somewhere, to do something, or to say something, or, you know, but in light of my current circumstance, what does wisdom say? Not is it legal, not is it, is it ethical, not is there a verse for it. What is the wise thing? When I look at my current situation, it doesn't mean I can never say yes to that, but wisdom might suggest, based on my current circumstances, I say no for now. You see what a different question this is than, is there anything wrong with it? The kind of logic doesn't lead us where we want to go, and we know it. And then here's the third one, and this is probably the most important. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Every one of us has a picture of our preferred future. Man, this is where I hope to end up in my marriage. This is where I hope to end up financially. This is where I hope to end up in my relationships with my kids. This is where I hope to end up with my health. This is where I hope to end up, you know, in in relationships with friends. This is where I hope to end up in my career. All of us have that. So let me ask this question. In light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of what I want my life to look like, is this the wise thing for me to do? And if anything down this path has the potential to rob me of that preferred future, wisdom would suggest that I don't go down that path. Paul would eventually write to a group of people in Corinth and and put it in these words. He would say, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. That's wisdom. See, you are allowed, you are allowed to eat donuts and Twinkies and ice cream for every meal. Not a verse for it. Jesus never said thou shalt not, it's legal. Is it wise? In light of the health that you might want to have, is it wise? This is just connecting the dots. My current choices are building my future reality. And none of this should surprise us. If God loves us, none of this should surprise us. It's the same reason as loving parents. We set up boundaries for our own kids because we want to give them the best chance at the best life imaginable. So, Let's ask this question moving forward. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, and and most importantly, in light of my future hopes and dreams, is this the wise thing for me to do? And this is my prayer, that when we ask that question, we would understand what God wants us to do, that, that wisdom would scream to us, that we would recognize wisdom when we see it, and we'd have the courage to respond. And I think one of the most wise things anyone can ever do is wrestle what they think about Jesus. Because here's the message of the scriptures. God's building a family and he wants you in it. He sent Jesus into this world to restore the brokenness between us and God and us and each other. At the right time in human history, God sent Jesus into the world. He allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, Jesus rose from the dead. That means death is not the end and you have been invited. And you can't earn your way into it. It's something God's done for you. If you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that by just agreeing with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. So I pray, make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to put my trust in you and to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us 
God, I pray that you would help us to recognize wisdom. In light of where we've been, where we are, where we're going, where we hope to go, help us to recognize your wisdom and then help us, give us the courage to respond to it. And we pray this in your name, amen.